0: You are listening to Secret Handshake, the podcast covering the movies that help you identify your friends and maybe make a few more along the way. Coming up, spine number 41, 1995's Tales from the Crypt presents Demon Knight. Featuring fake breasts, cuckolding, meat cleavers, the Crypt Keeper, Arnold, acid vats, vampire bats, woody puns, killer nuns, Demons, Werewolves, and Mummies, Oh My, plus Academy Award nominee, Billy Zane. Martin. Yes. edition of Secret Handshake. I'm your host, Jacob Knight, and joining me as always is Martin Carlson. Martin. Hello, hello.
1: You ready to go to the crypt? Dude, I was really excited for this episode, and it did not disappoint. Yeah. prepping. I really love, I'm just going to put up, I love Tales from the Crypt. This is fucking great. Oh, I yeah. really liked getting back into it before Halloween season, but in Halloween season. I mean, this
0: was a big formative text, I think, for like dudes our age who grew up yes. in the late 80s through the 90s. Um, Because this was like our, not our gateway drug, but maybe one of them to like loving horror because there was something weirdly illicit about staying up late to watch Tales from the Crypt on HBO. You like you, I remember like combing through those old TV guides that like, you know, everybody got in their mailbox, reading the capsules, seeing which episodes were playing. And then frankly, if you, were able to finagle your way to, to, stay up that late and watch it. There was usually like a horror movie or something you shouldn't have watched also. Yeah. Yeah. Immediately it was, it was after. Paired, yeah. Yeah. Like they weren't programmed that way. It was just because you were in that time slot. So it was like, Ooh, what's angel about an avenging hooker. Who's also like a schoolgirl by day. like, we should not have been watching these movies, and I think without stuff like Tales from the Crypt, we probably wouldn't have this podcast.
1: No, I was I was taking notes when I was watching our episodes. Uh, for the audience, we each picked three episodes that we uh, both loved and want to share with each other. And then we did the movies as well, specifically Demon Knight, obviously focusing on as as the best of the bunch. Um, Don't you neglect Bordello of Blood? What I love... I. Adore Bordello of Blood. Um, you I, adore
0: Bordello of Blood? Look, I'm not going to ride like that hard for it. but like
1: <laughs> So Bordello of Blood is more of a secret handshake film for me than Demon Knight. Oh, wow. Because when Bordello of Blood came out, somehow, in the grace of God, I tricked my parents into renting a movie for me called Bordello of Blood. It's in the fucking title. Like, how did I get this past them? I still as they don't know. And like it, Angie Everhart. Softcore Skinamax Queen yep. is on the cover. On the cover. And I got them to rent it for me. I think it was it was spring break and like they were super busy and they were like kind of felt bad because they hadn't planned anything for my spring break. And I was basically just stuck at home. It was like I was like, I think <clears throat> sixth grade. And I watched it every day for five days. It was a five day rental. I watched Bordello Blood five days. You stretched that
0: tape out if you know what I'm saying. I, I did.
1: What well, it was like, I mean, it was like boobs, violence. It's really funny. Corey like, Feldman. Corey Feldman, like, and Dennis heard, Miller, what every 12 year old wants. Dennis Miller is hilarious. I he, I hate him in everything except Bordello Blood. That is like the only time, and some weekend update. And the net with Sandra Bullock. <laughs> and the net. But this one is like so. It's his star vehicle, you know, but, but while I was watching. What a
0: time to be alive. The nineties were Dennis Miller got a fucking star vehicle
1: and Billy Zane. That's, and that's, what's really interesting about, I kept taking notes about the show besides the illicit nature. I completely agree with what you said. Like, so I had like one friend who had HBO, like we didn't have cable. None of my close, like close friends had cable. So it was really rare. I could see an episode. It was like one buddy. If they had a sleepover, like I'd be over there in like 93 and we'd stay up to like, what, midnight or whenever it aired or, you know, reruns on HBO. And that's why I picked House of Horrors, which we'll get to. That was the first one I remember seeing. It was like, oh, man. And, like, can I remember the first episode I saw was uh, Jersey Devil of um, X-Files at a friend's house. I remember where I was, like, I was third grade. Um, besides the illicit nature, is it is just, like, watching it in hindsight now, but also I think watching it around that time was, like, it was just a smorgasbord of like B list to Z list '90s actors, up to sometimes A list actors. I mean, you, you know, on their way out. You have Brad Pitt, obviously, in one of our episodes, um, King of the Road. Denny where, Moore. Where was Kevin Dillon at that point? Well, are we going C list? He's C. Is he B? He's C, but I love him. He is in. He's full douchebag. Johnny Kevin drama. Della, just Johnny drama, like that. Really playing up his like. Because he can look handsome sometimes, and he can look really ugly. He's a two-faced. He's a ugly as fuck, the way they make him look in House of Horrors. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, if he
0: wasn't acting, he'd look like he should be working at, like, a Delaware gas station.
1: Well, don't you also feel like, watching especially the show, that this was a way for a lot of actors to come play for a week? Like, versus being in a horror film, they could play with their star image and be like, oh, I'll show up for a week of shoots and then have fun. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, this was almost like a
0: living tabloid in a weird way. Yeah, absolutely. With the amount of, it was like a revolving door with the amount of celebrities that would come in because that was like part of the formula. And frankly, because you have like Joel Silver and Robert Zemeckis, Walter Hill, like producing this. Richard Donner. Richard Donner. Like they're able to get every star out there possibly. They got Arnold Schwarzenegger to come in and direct an episode. Yep. And then Arnold brought all
1: his friends in for that episode, too. You see all his actor buddies from Total Recall and Terminator. And in one of your uh, other picks that we'll talk about later, you have, like, Roger Daltrey from The Who coming
0: in and having a lead role. Like, this was a big cultural deal that also, on the flip side, felt disreputable. Yeah. That was the cool thing about it is that it sort of embraced the trashy, campy, bloody... Uh, vibe of the original EC comics Mm -hmm. and totally ran with it and modernized it for the nineties, let's say, because that's the other thing we need to talk about is it is, if you were to try and show somebody what the nineties looked like tales from the crypt is like a pretty good example. It's a great time capsule because all of the fashions, all of the, the, the music, the jokes, like, because there's also that weird buzzing, particularly with uh, John uh, Kassir and the the Crypt Keeper, mm-hmm. is there's that buzzing undertone of, like, Hollywood satire that was, like, coming to the surface with stuff. Like, I think of The Critic as one of the other yeah. uh, kind of great examples um, of this. Is that, Very
1: self-referential.
0: Yeah, you know, you because you also have the rise of Entertainment Weekly and, like, We Were and Premier Magazine and everything. And, like, Tales from the Crypt, in a weird way, was all part of this tabloid soup where we uh, as a culture began to consume and know more about the movies yeah. and like Hollywood satire meant something to us. It wasn't completely out of reach. Like we had stuff br- like beamed into our living rooms and our mailboxes that let us feel like, at least we got the joke, not necessarily like insiders, but like we actually understood like, Oh, okay. Okay. And, like, when somebody, like, nudges you in the the ribs and, and makes a Hollywood joke, suddenly it was like, oh, it all makes sense now.
1: Yeah, it almost feels like you, you can connect this all the way up to, like, screen three. Like, that kind right. of, like, that's for an audience who is versed in the, at least these are people playing versions of themselves. Jenny McCarthy, these kind of, like, we see them on screen, but also, like, we see the other side of the production. Um, and it, it totally... It is just interesting, like you said, being a cultural artifact of the 90s. Also, it's like watching Miami Vice, where you see that was also a a show that had all these up-and-comers. Right. So you watch that, it's like Bruce Willis, Julia Roberts. This is another one of those shows where you see who was popular. You see who was on the downslope, because there are people who show up on the downslope. You see people on the upslope, like Brad Pitt, who had, I think at this point, hadn't even done California yet. No, yeah. This is 92, I think he did that episode. So...
0: Yeah, you're, what, then, three years before California. Yeah, and
1: and three years before Although seven. California's 94.
0: Thelma and Louise, though, is 92. 92, so you're right in the yeah. same time period, yeah. let's say. So he's—but you're you're right. He like It's these dudes who are, like, mercurial, but also borderline has-beens. Like, I think uh, Roger Daltrey at that yeah. point is, Absolutely. has a has-been kind of air and honestly is playing a has-been in that episode— going against one of the most iconic actors of the 90s, Steve Buscemi. Yeah. And you know, and it's really young, awesome Steve Buscemi. And God,
1: the fucking gore effects in that episode are awesome. That was that was the reason I picked that one because you know, the show really ranges. Like there are just straight up like not gory episodes that are more um, ironic, but they lean more into the humor. This one is kind of a balance, or there's other ones that are like more straight up, kind of like a little mini monster movie. Um, but I mean, a lot, a lot of t-
0: sideshow freaks. A lot of,
1: they love the sideshow stuff. And so actually, like literally, as we're recording, I have, you know, my two collections of Tales from the Crypt. Actually, one is Vaults of Horror, I think, yeah, um, which they also pull from. They all the EC comic, disreputable um, comics. And I watched a great documentary on, uh, on the comic uh, and uh, with William F. Gaines, or William H. Gaines, but he, uh, that's one of the reasons for the creation of the comic code was EC Comics, because right. it's almost like the same way like the yeah, pre-code Hollywood and then <laughs> post-code Hollywood, you know, like, what, 1934? And this stuff was, I mean, you read these, and they're disgusting. There's, like, people coming out of graves. You don't see Nipple, but you see, like, it's very sultry women, um, and kids are, it but it's also written for kids, because comic books, especially at that time, were for children. And so I think it's what, that is kind of, is still inside Tales from the Crypts is it's not highfalutin adult fare. It's still for kids to find under a fucking, like their brother's bed or again, to stay up late. I think it's made for 12 year old boys for real. Like to like a lot of horror films are, you know, it's for us to be like, Oh my God, is this the, this is the real world I'm in.
0: Well, it's the, the publications that they made, you know, Kind of go in paper bags even when they, they yeah. sat on the rack. Like it would sit next to Fangoria, which would sit next to like Hustler. Like it was yep. all this stuff that I love that society as a whole, or at least polite society would like make you think is, is not good to consume. And that's what made it all the more attractive. And EC Comics was, you know, creating it in these vibrant eye popping colors and art and, 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 and everything. So like that made it appeal to kids. Like it's, it's not to say selling cigarettes to kids, but it's like, here, here's something that's going to completely warp your mind.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, what's also interesting I was thinking about was, you know, the structure of a Tales from the Crypt episode is they're all moralistic tales. Most of the time it's like a character, who has an Achilles heel. Um, there's usually an ironic twist at the end of like, you get, it's almost like the gift of the Magi, like, or a more dark version of that is like, you get what your comeuppance, you know?
0: Well, um, let's get, we can use one of mine to kind of illustrate the structure. Cause it's one of the earliest episodes yeah. is dig that cat. He's real gone, yep. which is great. It's about um, Joey pants, you know, gets an operation where he basically gets a cat's like nine lives. Uh, implanted into him and then becomes a sideshow attraction where he's just executed time, yeah. after, time Ulrich after time, the undying. Yeah. Ulrich, the undying. And then, but doesn't consider the fact that eventually a cat's lives run out. And that's, but like you're saying, it's just like gift of the Magi. He wishes for something. He gets it. He exploits it to his own advantage, but in the end it ends up, Undoing him.
1: Yeah, I mean, and you watch it. what I like about *Tales from the Crypt* too is like it, again, it is in this um, good company of a lot of other kind of franchises. Like *Twilight Zone*, you know, is a less gory version um, and more political, I would say, um, and, and really talking about the times. But *Twilight Zone* is also a perfect, you know, um, artifact of the '60s. You know, of like of our fears and how they had to kind of sneak in he had to kind of sneak in his messages for, a, you know, an audience. What's cool, it tells in the crypts, it jumps back to these 1940s and 50s comics. Like you said, updates them for the 90s and leans into the camp. Then you think about what Jordan Peele tried to do with like Twilight Zone for, you know, CBS All Access or now Paramount Plus. It's fucking terrible because he didn't know how to crack that nut, you know, of like, how do I update this? And like, this is a show that understood – It was about the lurid nature, but it was also about the comedy. Like, this is a funny, funny show. Even the darkest episodes are funny. And it starts with the Trip Keeper. Like, he sets the tone, right? Because he takes you into the episode and he takes you out. Like, this is all for a laugh.
0: Well, and the other thing that it connects back to is the 70s movies, too. Because, which are kind of a great example. Just how, you know, Tales from the Crypt on HBO was a time capsule for the 90s. Like, the... Tales from the Crypt, Vault of Horror, and then all of the Amicus productions, which are anthologies, are kind of a great time capsule of, like, the end of the Hammer era. Yeah. And then here comes this studio that wants to compete, but instead of doing straight-up old-school monster movies like Frankenstein, Dracula, The Wolfman, whatever, it options all of these... Uh, comics that have a classic feel to them, and then updates it with all of those actors from those movies, and kind of is like the the death knell of that wave of British horror because you That's still have yeah. Peter Cushing and and Christopher Lee and all these guys showing up in these movies, but they kind of feel cheap. They're you know they have the the same kind of ironic tongue in cheek. Uh, feel to them, but they're crafted by like Freddie Francis directs the first tales from the crypt. He's one of the classic hammer guys, you know? So it's still retaining that, uh, kind of musty air of like prestige, but it, it feels like, Oh, you're kind of hanging out in your grandparents' house and like the furniture's a little ratty. It smells of mothballs, (laughs) and like the only candy in the dish is like some Werther's like, that's the feel of watching those Amicus movies, but that's why I like them so much is because there's a comfort to them, and they're fun, and they're easy to just kind of yeah. breeze
1: through, and, like, again, they're a weird
0: history lesson unto themselves.
1: Yeah, it's, I mean, we also can't talk about, you know, Tales from the Crypt without Creepshow. You know, that Creepshow was, you know, Romero and King, especially the first one, saying, and it's all – it's their version of EC Comics. They didn't have the right. rights to call it. Tales from the Crypt, so it's creep show, but they have even a, a, a Crypt Keeper looking character, you know, in the window with Joe Hill in that scene. Like, there's this character, and it's about these tales. Also, with these, you know, actors on their way down, actors on the way up, just in this film. You know, you have like Ed Harris, you know, kind of on his way up. You have a older Leslie Nielsen before he kind of blew up again with with Naked Gun, um, and you could see again, but like then with this one, it's like okay, this is the '90s, and this is these guys at the i mean all you're talking about again big fucking movers in hollywood i mean this is what 91 when the first it premieres i believe it's like 91 it was what eight seasons total
0: seven i think seven yeah so yeah it's like 90 or 91 but through like
1: 97 or so yeah cuz it goes it, cuz you run a whole decade when bordello blood came out the show is still on and it did start to kind of dwindle toward the end. But, like, you have, like, bigwigs making this shit. Well, and they came
0: back to back. Like, because Tales from the Crypt Presents Demon Knight is 95. And you got Bordello of Blood is 96. Like, they envisioned this as a massive franchise with, like, you know, running mythos and iconography and stuff with that weird, like, Christ demon key that shows up in both movies. Like, yep. they really wanted this to happen. It just didn't. Because there's a third movie too, Ritual, with Tim Curry, and that's not great. And frankly, they kind of almost like this is when like the, the the pin was completely put in Tales from the Crypt and it was like almost like a side bit of advertising, like, Oh yeah, this is also part of Tales from the Crypt, but
1: it was really just called Ritual. You know, uh, like they
0: kind of gave up on that franchise completely.
1: Well, it there's a connection to our previous two episodes that the Weinsteins that's yeah. a Weinstein film. So we have Hellraiser, Halloween, and now this, where they put a tail- They bought the rights to Tales from the Crypt, put it on another movie. It's a remake of I Walk with a Zombie, right? Um, which is a great film. This is not a great film, and they don't even have the Crypt Keeper in it. He laughs over the opening credits, and that's all you get. Yep. And it's just you could tell they're like, uh, "Let's just do." They probably had ritual already, and they had they bought the rights. So let's just put it together. And it's pretty rough. Yeah, it's a miserable sit. But oh, man, I long, mean Except it, for one thing.
0: Yeah. But it's... I don't know, man. I, I wish that these had endured because you could actually see... And you wonder if it's a total, like, rights thing that keeps Tales from the Crypt from coming up now and being remade by HBO. Because it's like... It's prime time. We have, you know, Guillermo del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosities airing currently on Netflix. And, like, that's almost like the next generation of horror anthologies because we also had Mike Flanagan doing uh, The Midnight Club. Yep. So it's It's very
1: anthology. It's a mix. Ish. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But I mean, like, and, uh, frankly, Fear Street from the 90s as well, which isn't an anthology, but. Basically tried to do the same thing that the Tales from the Crypt movies were, to where it's like, oh, you get a different contained story, but also, also there's like a mythos running through it and one like long kind of narrative. But it's it's a wonder why Tales from the Crypt doesn't come back now.
1: Well, there, it, I think it was four or five years ago, Shyamalan was gonna do. Uh, Tales from the Crypt series. It oh. was like it was greenlit. I think they had not gone into production, but they're writing the scripts, which makes sense because he's Mister Twist, you know. I, I mean, you could tell he'd be a fan, you know, and sure. his all stuff is based on Twist. And his aren't always moralistic Twist because it doesn't feel like you know Bruce Willis is like need to be taught a lesson. In Sixth Sense, it's more like no, this is like a twist for the audience. Oh my god, what if you were dead? But I think there are like I think old definitely has which I actually kind of enjoyed. Um, has the uh, end of that movie is so fucking dumb? It's dumb, but it's but, fun up until that point. Yeah, I what, what really sucks about Shyamalan is I think he's a fantastic filmmaker as a director. He's only getting better. Like, oh yeah, he's amazing with camera stuff and with directing actors. Like he's great. He just should stop writing scripts. Like the dialogue is like George Lucas 2000s level stilted and bad. Which is hilarious, too,
0: because when he really broke out with Sixth Sense, like that was the main thing that people praised were like, oh, my God, his script and Unbreakable, too. They're,
1: they're both great scripts.
0: Yeah. They're amazing. And signs. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just that he's. He keeps getting further and further away from
1: those. Yeah. Um, but, but I think, so I, I, and I don't know if it's a rights things like you said, probably. Um, That's what I imagine.
0: Like, I wonder if the Weinstein still even have their hooks in it, if they were the last ones to have like a Tales from the Crypt kind of attachment with their film.
1: Yeah. And like, yeah, it's one of those things like Dogma for Kevin Smith. Well, yeah. Another thing I was just thinking about, too, we can't forget is Tales from the Dark Side. You know that you know the '80s series, and, the, and then the movie that that was another thing. Tales from the Dark Side was probably like a rights thing of like we're going to do our '80s version of that. That was a very cheap show. You watch that; it looks like it was shot on a peanut butter sandwich, you know. And but that was Romero as well, you know. And King wrote a couple episodes or based on his short stories, and that was them also. That was almost like Creep Show, the TV series.
0: Yeah, and In then you way. got... Well, that was Creepshow 3, was Tales from the Dark Side, the movie. Like, that was originally supposed to be uh, Creepshow yeah. 3. I like that movie a lot. Uh, oh, it's really fucking good, but that's also all the same. <laughs> uh, it's the same guy who composed, like, uh, the the Creepshow theme directs the movie, John Harrison. Yep. Um, it's all from Richard Rubenstein. So, like, yeah, they were the heirs. Like, if we're being real, you have the comics, then you have the amicus movies, and then you have... King and Romero. Creeps, King and Romero are the heirs to, to that throne. And then you have in the 90s Tales from the Crypt actually coming back. Then it kind of dies after the 90s. Then you don't really have any real, like, hardcore, like, what do EC comics feel like productions. Yeah.
1: I mean, you have the Creep Show reboot series on Shudder. No. Um,. I have a friend who did a lot of uh, makeup effects for that, which I think are the highlight for real of that show. It, they're, but it's not well directed. Like no. it's it's it, that first episode. I'm like, Ugh. Um And but you also think about in the '90s that how Big Tales from the Crypt was was they also had stuff for kids. Like you wouldn't have gotten. Are you afraid of the dark? you wouldn't have gotten the goosebumps to have its own show but i mean obviously the books the books were popular but i think goosebumps were also moral tales that are tales from the crypt like stories for right. kids um, there was tales from the crypt keeper the animated show which i used to watch as a kid which i actually watch i still watch to this day i found it on youtube and they're really fun and there's the same thing of like these moralistic tales but it's with kids and obviously no sex um a lot softer lot softer no death more about like you get what you wish for kind of stories
0: yeah so let's talk about demon night when was the first time you saw demon night
1: ben godey's house in 1990 is 96 so he got it on videotape you're like the bill simmons of childhood recollections (laughs) (laughs) i'm i'm i have a very specific memory for like food and movies. Like and this is the whole point of this episode. Like true. you know, it's these it's how these these movies are part of our own personal history. I just like
0: the names. It's a, it's the same way when I would listen to Steve Allen. Yeah, like the Rewatchables
1: or something. He's like, I remember I was in
0: Providence in nineteen ninety one. I watched it with my boy Hobie. And you're like, What?
1: <laughs> you remember that motherfucker's name? I so I remember what I was eating. I was eating um so his parents had a uh his parents had a house in like Bloomington, Indiana. It was like a condo. And like, they'd be like, oh, we're going to go down for the weekend, which is like an hour away. And we just hang out and watch movies. They rent us whatever we want to get us a bunch of trashy candy and stuff and food. So we, awesome. were, we were eating those microwavable um, uh, Jimmy Dean sausage biscuits. And I had like three <laughs> of those, like they're piping hot in front of me. And we put in it like piping like, hot, piping hot 3 a.m. We had run to demon night.
0: Little soppy from the perspiration, and they were
1: no, you, you know, you know exactly what yeah. I'm talking about. Yeah, they're a little soaked, but it kind of makes them special. And we're drinking like fucking Mountain Dew Code Red, and oh, I mean, just I'm really painting the picture for you. Yeah. and I remember putting it on, and this was just like one of those. I mean, this is a face melter. I mean, I, I hate to jump ahead, but like it's the ultimate. Like this is a full on face melter. It's like you had mentioned we were texting. It's very rainy. Like we, it is just a, a, a just a runaway train of fun horror scenes. It captures. I, I'd seen a, I'd seen more tales from the crypt at this point of the show, but it, not as much as Bordello of Blood. It definitely captures like the funniness, the goofy, the kind of wide angle uh, shooting. Also, like a just uh, a. Well, it's shot by, what's his name, Gary Kibbe, who's the same guy who shot the majority of the series. Yeah, absolutely. And so you have these canted angles, wide angles, saturated colors. It looks like a comic book. I mean, it's very similar to the color palette of Creepshow, you know.
0: Well, it also helps that you have Ernest Dickerson, Spike Lee's longtime cinematographer, directing this movie. The shit out of it. Like, it's really amazing. You're kind of bummed that you didn't get more Dickerson-like films. Like, we got Bones— which is pretty fucking cool, but like and this surviving the game and surviving the oh fucking game, Oh, my which is a great movie. <laughs> um, I also saw that in the theaters, but I saw oh, man. I saw this in the theaters when I was eleven or shit. twelve. My mom took us, uh, me and my friend Chris Dominic, who is dead. Oh, and, shit. Well, I don't know. I haven't talked to him in years, but I just heard he was dead. So like he's with the crib Keeper now, <laughs> but. He, she Jesus dropped Christ. us. <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> Am I wrong? <laughs> you're not wrong. Just an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> but she dropped us off at uh, the United Artists East Whiteland. So here you go. I'll paint you the picture. Right, you know, got us. Great. Got us some Twizzlers, some popcorn. The ticket girl looked at her like, "Are you sure? Are you watching it with?" And there was a moment. Where my heart jumped into my throat because the ticket girl was like, are you going to go with them? And my mom's like, I don't know. <laughs> like, they're going to watch this. I've been I'm there. I have up. been there. And, like, I didn't think that the ticket girl was going to sell them the tickets. I think that she was going to be like, Mom, you have to watch this. And my mom was gonna be like, well, we're going home. So, but thankfully she didn't. We went and watched uh, Demon Night, And let me tell you, again, my 11 or 12-year-old brain. I think it was 11 because this is 95. No, 12. Yeah, yeah it would have been 12. Um, my 12-year-old brain was just blown out of the back of my skull because the the one thing I, I kind of push back on here is that, and I, I've come to learn this more as an adult and like watched more Tales from the Crypt and stuff, um, that this movie doesn't feel, the main part of the movie doesn't feel yeah. necessarily like a Tales from the Crypt episode. It just feels like a big spook a blast, like haunted house picture almost with like demons and, and, God versus the devil and it's just it's so big but it's contained like such a, a small thing but it feels epic in it's a weird way. It's a way. siege movie.
1: Too. Yeah it's a yeah.
0: siege movie it has all those demons but it has all that crazy backstory that stretches back to like the crucifixion of Christ and stuff. It's fucking awesome. But it's so wild but that was the thing that even as like a 12 year old my brain lashed onto I was, I was, I was like oh this doesn't feel like the kind of goofy stories um, that the show kind of gave us. This feels a little more like it has a little more weight, a little more gravity, and it's kind of epic, but also feeling like a bunch of fun and having the great Cryptkeeper bookends. Because I think even more so than Bordello of Blood, like this might have the best Cryptkeeper, yes, like moments because him directing the film and then arriving to the its premiere is pretty fucking funny.
1: Yeah, I, and you're right. I mean, like it's it's. I would say in terms of look and style, it's very much like the show. Like I you know, like said, Gary Kibbe's shooting it. Um, and and, there, and the, the kind of jokes like, get that pussy off the table, is a very Tales from the Crypt. Oh, yeah, 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 kind, yeah. So the humor, but no, I would the agree. the tone is the, in the there. Plot, the plot, you're totally right, is a full-on, almost like Raimi level of like ridiculous mythology, nonstop gore, which the show is not. The show I mean, usually built up to maybe a gory end. Billy Zane and his hen- like his henchmen are
0: essentially deadites. Yeah, like they're just in the Tales from the Crypt universe, and they kind of look like they're all going to a widespread panic concert.
1: Like they have all they're this kind of weird- predatory too.
0: Yeah, they have all. But I, they have all this weird, like, kind of garb. Like they probably smell like patchouli the whole time. They just <laughs> they look horrible. Like you probably could like score some good weed off of them
1: or something. You're like blasting Souf John Stevens as yeah. they attack you. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking more like OAR. <laughs> But the, I think you're right. But what I really like about this, I don't, I don't even know how to even start. I think this is one of my favorite horror movies, like straight up. Every time I watch it, I'm yeah. It's it is such a romp. It is such a good time. Um, it, it feels like you know, like sitting there to watch Evil Dead too. It's like you just strap yourself in and you're like, just take me away. Like it's an hour and a half um, from the beginning though. That like muscle car comic book aesthetic. The opening scene of like, like opening the car chase with these canted angles. The purposely like model that model shot of the mission there there where most of the film takes place with that awesome like really like badly composited like storm behind it but it's perfect it's just like everything the purposeful cheapness at moments um, it reminds
0: me of the end of from from dusk till dawn uh, where it pulls back and reveals the, the massive temple on the back of the titty twister.
1: And that's what's really funny is I kept thinking of Dust Till Dawn. I thought that like oh, there there's a
0: lot of similarity.
1: Of this and also Bordello of Blood, obviously. Yeah, you know. And I like prefer Bordello Blood to Dust Till Dawn in a lot of ways. You you're know? out of your mind. I, I do prefer it. Um, but it is like it's it's just such a fun movie to turn on. Also, it's just one of those like it takes place in one night kind of horror films where it's mm-hmm. just like you're spending time with these characters. The gore is just fantastic. Like It's so good. The head the punch to the head of the sheriff, it just comes out of nowhere. Um and like uh CCH Pounder's arm is being like torn off. And then the kid demon, like when he just says like has this giant tongue, like it it's so fun. You can see the there's like again, it's just they're having a. it's a monster movie, haunted house extravaganza. Um
0: well, and all of those crazy like zooms and the way the camera moves, and yeah. everything it it
1: is like Ramy light or Diet Ramy, let's say. um The close up, like the, the editing of close up, close up, close up, close up, is like so Ramy too. Or the punching in on the face with like four cuts. When I think of know. like
0: the punch through the head, and then the the camera literally flies in on CCH Pounder like throwing up all yeah. over herself. So, But let's talk about the cast on this movie because I think that's the most Tales from the Crypt kind of element of it because you have dudes on their way up and people on their way down, and then you have Billy Zane who... Is sort of holding down the the middle. (laughs) Well, I was gonna say we're almost at peak Billy Zane because you're two years away from Titanic,
1: year before the Phantom, which was a summer tentpole movie. That's what I mean. Like Billy
0: Zane was actually the dude who was on his way up here. Like they thought he was gonna be the next big star, and honestly, based on Demonite, he should have been because this is one of the greatest screen performances of all time. Like no qualification, no nothing, nobody maybe in the history of the medium has had more fun playing a character than Billy Zane does here. I,
1: I would a hundred percent agree. And that's, he's the highlight. That's one of the reasons when I rewatch it and I'm like, I know where the gore, the monster stuff's going to happen. I'm like, I never tire of him in this movie. His, the way he talks like Thomas Hayden church, He's like, well, yeah, well, not, he does his country voice. Um, he, again, I think my the favorite
0: dance he does outside after like basically escaping the halfway house for uh, the
1: first time. Oh yeah. goddamn motherfuckers.
0: Yeah, just like kicking the dirt and shit, and then he rises all the deadites around him. It's just he's going for it, but also all of the the weird dream sequences, too, where he's oh. essentially playing Lucifer and he's trying to seduce all of the different characters into giving him the key. So because I guess for those who have never seen Demon Knight, we should recap like a little bit. It's about uh, William Sadler, the great William Sadler. From
1: the first episode of Tales from the, the first
0: episode of all time. Yep. Um, is being chased by Billy Zane. Uh, holds up in a halfway house with a bunch of these misfits, um, who are just amazing, like lumpy characters, like Dick Miller as Uncle Willie, oh, the drunk oh, who great. takes him there. Um, Jada Pinkett. Jada Pinkett, uh, CCH Pounder, um, What's his name? Voice of Roger Rabbit.
1: Yeah. Oh, and from from Zodiac. My favorite scene from
0: Zodiac. Fleischer. Fleischer. Richard Fleischer. Richard, yeah. Yeah. He's in there as a disgruntled mailman. Also a joke. Charles Fleischer. Charles Fleischer, right. Uh, Disgruntled mailman who... Is also a weird artifact from the 90s. It was one of the other things that stuck out in my head is that, like, going postal isn't really a term anymore, and, like, having a postal worker have, like, an arsenal of, like, machine guns or whatever. Like, that feels like a joke from a different
1: time, especially in the era of, like, massive school shooters. I was, I, that's a completely right. I didn't think about how... They even made the movie Postal with that fucking U E Bull piece of shit. Well, there was the whole know? video game that was called Postal I that that's based that. on. To where like that was a, a
0: again a weird moment in the culture, and it's like a totally different conversation for a podcast that is not this. Um, <laughs> to be frank, and, and left turn, <laughs> yeah, exactly. To where it's like uh, because you know you had. A different breed of shooter, to where now we just associate mass shooters with basically everybody. Yeah. There, you could at least, I guess, in our culture, the incidents were narrow enough that we could actually make that joke and pin them on Agreed. one person. For all I know, you're going to shoot me at the end of this podcast episode. So, like, that's how you can't make that joke anymore. Is he? Right. Is basically, the short version of this. It's too common. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, but like, you have him in it. You have Thomas Hayden Church who. It's, like, right after Lowell and Wings, basically. Well, maybe, like, maybe even during. Yeah, during Lowell and Wings. And, like, it's just kind of a TV actor that everybody recognizes at this point. But...
1: Brenda Backey, who plays Cordelia, she's been in a bunch of stuff. Like Super hot. I, oh, oh, my God. Um, another highlight of the show and the movies is just, like, beautiful women. Beautiful, fake-breasted
0: women. Yeah. Like, this is, again... To date it into the 90s, this is the era of Skinamax. This is the era of, like, hard bodies, fake breasts. Yep. Everything is perfect. Like, it's they look like Barbie dolls the entire time,
1: which, like, if you grew up during the era, probably triggers a certain sensation in you. Yeah. It's a Jenny McCarthy era. Exactly. You need to bring that up again. Yeah. That, that perfect, like, the Playboy Playmate.
0: Blo- Denise De- Richards. Yep. Like, yeah, to where the, the Playboy Playmate is now the Bond girl, too. Yep. Absolutely. But, so, uh, William Sadler's being chased by Billy Zane. It turns out he has this ancient key that might have the blood of Christ in yep. it. And then Billy Zane needs that key to do something. That's the part of, like, the plot that I never really understand. Is it to just bring, like, hell on earth? It's like, the
1: only thing keeping him from ruling. from ruling, And, and I think that's why he says early, it just, if you pour it all out and it's empty, then, like, Nothing can stop me, is, yeah, is my understanding. Because like, later on, you have the other guys show up, like, there's just like you know, a long line. They have kind of this kind of joke about I got promoted, like, it's all these like long line of demons who are all like work for Satan, yeah, <laughs> like, try it and... even ends with one, like, yeah. That...
0: One of the last lines in the movie, if not the last line in the movie, is the next demon who comes after, yeah, Billy Zane. I'll catch the next one. Oh my god, I want to see. Like, I wish these movies kept going so we just got Demon Knight 2 yeah. to where Jada Pinkett Smith is the one who's, you know, taken over for William Sadler is being pursued by this other, you know, demon. Because that would be so much fun. Anyway, so where this all came from, this long-winded recap of Demon Knight, <laughs> was that this is why, like, Billy Zane is trying to seduce all these people in this halfway house. Uh, to get this key so that he can destroy it, and the seduction scenes are just so fucking awesome. They're like
1: '90s music videos. Yeah,
0: like the one with Cordelia. Well, and also the one with Dick Miller is so great. And Uncle Willie and just nothing again, but naked like strippers and playmates. Couple like, porn stars in there. Couple porn stars worked in. You know, Martin's porn star bona fides have already kind of been minted on this podcast (laughs) he pointed them out of the crowd he's like that one seen that one but uh they're all offering where i was when
1: i first watched her
0: (laughs) i was also eating a jimmy dean sausage biscuit alone this time (laughs) (laughs) but uh but these are all great and then you have the whole dance sequence with him and jada pinkett like in her underwear which is amazing because this is like Also, when Jada Pinkett, they were kind of fucking around with, is she going to be a huge megastar? Because you're around the same time as like Set It Off would be two years later. I want to say is like, or maybe it's the same year.
1: And then the woo. The woo. Right. Woo, right? Yeah. Or is it just woo? Woo, I think. Yeah. Yeah,
0: The woo. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The. Not to be confused with international action director, John John Woo, who also (laughs) likes to go, at least in his house, by the woo. That's That's what Tom
1: Cruise called him. Yeah, On the the Mission Impossible 2 uh, making of, he's like, he's like, what was it like working with John Woo? I mean, what can I say? He's the Woo. (laughs) Like,
0: yep. It's kind of like the Wiz from Seinfeld, (laughs) like if he directed a movie. (laughs) But in the end, Demon Knight just becomes like one of the great siege movies, supernatural gore fests of all time because you kind of nailed it. Like, it's a party movie. Like, yeah. they use this to open the Exhumed Films 24-hour-thon one of the years. And, like, I no remember surprise. right when it started, it was like, oh, fuck, dude. Because, like, it starts with the, the show's intro. Then the great Danny Elfman theme song going into the house down in the basement where the Crypt Keeper is. And then, boom, you're just in a 95-minute, like, crank to 11 Tales from the Crypt episode that also, frankly and we've talked about this with movies like The Crow features one of the great 90s soundtracks of all time right. like Filter Filter Pantera uh, Grave like it's fucking awesome man I remember, I remember the CD yeah. yeah I had the CD I played it so much but this was again part like to date it to the 90s itself.
1: Like, this was the time when the the soundtrack album was just as important yep. to the movie itself. Even for horror movies, which is crazy. Yeah, exactly. You know? I remember The Craft the next year had a huge stack with, like, Matthew Sweet and, like, the well, versions they, of The Smiths. And, well, then
0: they would even have, like, Collective Soul and, like, Scream 2 and shit. Yep. Like, this was just... This was part of, like,
1: selling your movie was who, who, like, whose music can we get in it? I miss... I honestly miss those days. Like, that was such a part of getting excited for a movie is they would usually release the CD like two or three weeks before the movie to kind of drum up interest. And I would always like buy it. You know, obviously the Batman movies were like the ultimate, like Batman Forever and Batman and Robin had these like.
0: Were you like a big fan of Eminem's Venom theme song? Wait. Wait.
1: The horror movie Venom?
0: No, the wasn't it wasn't it them or was it LP? It was one of the no, it was Eminem had a song for Venom. No, the Tom Hardy. Oh, Venom. the
1: new I was thinking yeah. the, I was thinking of the the O seven or whatever uh
0: No for the late seventies
1: one. <laughs> I was That's say when that. M- Eminem recorded it in the womb. <laughs> for for whenever um uh Oliver Reed was on screen. Yeah he exactly. used to have Eminem blasting. Just screaming <laughs> about chugging Fago or
0: something. <laughs> Yeah, that's what we're really missing these days. I hope that Mike Flanagan's next movie has Creed in it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I would love that. That would be awesome. But Bordello of
0: Blood, um, to kind of wrap this up before we get to questions, uh, I think the stark contrast between the two is that um, that feels more like an episode. Yeah. It's the ironic thing. It's bigger, again, um, but it has kind of the ironic twist. It's doing the mild, like subversive kind of gags with you with like Chris Sarandon being a preacher who's also in league with like a vampire who's killing people. He's basically feeding her sinners the entire time, but has even more of that tacky plastic 90s sheen to it with a dude on his way down with Corey Feldman. I guess Dennis Miller was on his way up. Is this like, they're trying to give him a star I, vehicle, I think so. but he's also a big, I always put together, he was also a big HBO guy because mm. of all of his up specials were really big on HBO and stuff. And I wonder if that was the foot in the
1: door. That's possible there because he'd yeah. been,
0: he'd been trying to do uh, movies like the aforementioned Sandra Bullock of the net. Um, You know, and was trying to break into that side of the business, but like never, he's never really like got there. And thank God, because could you imagine if like there was a weird sliding doors moment and Dennis Miller became like a big fucking movie star. And now we have to listen to him talk about like cancel culture and love Trump and whatever and be like, well, I guess we got to kind of respect him because he's the next most famous conservative
1: behind Clint Eastwood, I guess. Oh, God. Well, because he feels like he would have gone a similar route as, like, just the uh, annoyingness of, like, Kevin James. But he also, like, he's more in the, I mean, I feel like Dennis Leary took his spot. Like, Leary never Market corrected him a little bit. Yeah, and, like, well, Leary just kind of, like, didn't blow up to any huge size, but had a show like Rescue Me. Also playing this super sarcastic, but also, like, I think Leary's more of a liberal. So it's like he's on the right side of humanity. Also more
0: talented. He's Frankly, I mean, Leary's yeah, an actual act. actor. He's great
1: in Judgment Night. Like, I believe he could play a bad guy. I can never believe Dennis Miller yeah, could play Yeah, the ref. A... Oh, the, the, ref. the ref's awesome.
0: Yeah, he's fucking great in that movie, and that movie's kind of thorny and weird and complicated, but, like... And Rescue
1: Me was, the first couple seasons were good.
0: Yeah. Like, really good. Well, and, like, the other thing, too, that we haven't even touched on is that, like, something like Rescue Me probably doesn't exist without Tales from the Crypt, because Tales from the Crypt is still at the beginning of, like hbo figuring out what quote we would think of quote unquote as like prestige tv yeah you know and they would continue to perfect the formula all the way through the 90s to the early 2000s with ending in probably the first true like moment of what we know as cable prestige tv with the sopranos like that's the big like kind of godfather to everything that we watch after that you know
1: yeah yeah, that, you're right, because I was actually thinking about that, about how HBO was, had so few shows back then. They had their documentaries. Right. They had Tales from the Crypt. And Taxicab they, Confessions. Yeah, and it was a lot of kind of Skinny max kind of stuff at night, and then just movies. Was what was like, Red Shoe Diaries? Was that Showtime? I think so. I don't think it was HBO. It wasn't HBO. Yeah. I think that was
0: Showtime, because that was the one that – or maybe that was Cinemax, to go along with that Skinny Max. Mm. I'd have to go back and look. I was thinking of uh, – Ever tell you about the time Kyle Chandler came into Vulcan Video and wanted me to show him this, the Red Shoe Diary section? No way. That's for one that's off mic. Was he here shooting Friday Night Lights? I think he just lived in town. It was oh, back oh, when he did. That's Kyle right. Chandler. It was. It was back when uh, Vulcan Video was behind Weros. Okay. Um. So like this is like seven, eight years ago. I want to say, but yeah, came in hammered, drunk. With his wife, his wife incredibly sweet the entire time. I didn't even know that it was Coach Taylor until I heard that voice and I turn around and he's got like four buttons popped on his uh, flannel shirt and he's even more attractive in real life than like what he is in that that Permian Panthers uh, jersey and he was like, "Hey, man, y'all got the red shoe diary section and I had to like stifle a laugh where I was like, "Excuse me."
1: sure kyle chandler i'll take you there coach taylor so it kind of reminds me of when i met andrew lincoln um at at videodrome in uh atlanta the video store and it was a very much nicer less creepy interaction where i uh, well, well it wasn't creepy no. with kyle <laughs> chandler it was it was more hilarious because he was hammered and i remember him asking me and
0: me looking at his wife and his wife basically gives me the shrug like
1: ah well, i was standing next i was in the the uh the Hong Kong section I was looking at for movies there. And right next to it was Japanese.
0: Andrew Lincoln. wanted the Guinea pig movies? I, I was looking
1: to my right and he was looking at Harakiri. Um, and he never, I go, Oh, do we fucking rules. And he's like, and he had an American accent. He was, cause he was still, you know, I think in character or whatever for, uh, um, walking dead. And I was like, Oh yeah, it's really great. And he goes, what else should I get? I like recommended like, a couple like fucking the samurai films for him. Like he never seen a uh, throne of blood or just like that. And so he, what a fucking loser. Right. And he, and he gets it. He, I'm like, he's like, oh yeah, I'm hanging out with my, you know, with my wife and my, my father-in-law and I were going to watch Samurai movies. His father-in-law is the lead singer, fucking Jethro Toll. So Good I was like, so I recommended Samurai Fest. For, also a loser. Uh, <laughs> but I was like, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, Bordello,
0: of Blood, getting us back on track. <laughs> Ap- um, apologies. Is a straight up vampire. Uh, episode. It's closer to one of your favorites, House of Horror. Yeah. Um. With the the frat pledges and everything that end up, the big twist there is that the sorority girls are the vampires. Here, it's just the hookers are. Yeah. And Dennis Miller's a private investigator. For Erica Alaniac? Yep. From Baywatch, right? That was her big claim to fame. And under Siege. And Under Siege. Oh, that's and right. And of the Year. Yeah, you're right. Um, she comes to Dennis Miller. What a weird... St- like bit of pairings that she got in her big screen movies. I got Seagal (laughs) and I got Miller. She
1: loves the schlubs.
0: God. And nobody might be schlubbier than Dennis Miller in this movie. Like he is, he's not even acting. No, he's just
1: doing Dennis Miller.
0: Yeah. And his also one of the greatest names in cinema history, Rafe Gutman. Yep. Who the fuck names their kid Rafe? Especially if their last name is Gutman. Like, that's a curse. That's not a name.
1: But, like, he's a, playing the whole thing that he opens his shirt and he has, like, the Star of David. That yeah. He's like, he's, like, very Jewish instead of, like, the normal Christian thing. But it's, like, all for that one joke. Yeah. You know?
0: Joel, that was the Joel Silver joke. Yeah. He yep. was like, I, I like that one. All the rest of them, I don't give a shit about. But he's like, what if the dude is a Jewish guy? Have we ever thought about that vampires don't bite them? They're like, <laughs> thanks, Joel. But, like. Uh, here's a line for you. Yeah, exactly. Here's. here's <laughs> A whole eight ball. Um, so they go because they're in search of Erica Lelaniac's brother is Corey Feldman. Yeah. They, of course, got viciously sucked off by the vampire hookers. Um, they discover the bordello of blood is in league with this like televangelist. Yeah. Weirdo preacher, Chris Sarandran, who also has a Jesus laser. The Jesus laser bit is the most baffling part of the movie to me. Because I, also one of the greatest examples of like the Chekhov's gun rule to where it's like, if you're going to introduce a Jesus later, you you better damn well use it by the end. But it's like um, they're kind of in league. And then they, of course, go into like a full from dust till dawn kind of showdown with the vampires. Really, it's really fun. It's a lot of fun, but it's like barely 90 minutes has the Crypt Keeper bookends. Has the ironic kind of twists to it and is just a ton of fun. Yeah. Um, is it bad? Yes. Uh, like yeah. unequivocally, like awful. But at the same time, it delivers that same kind of dopamine rush that's the equivalent of being a 12 year old boy at a sleepover and watching something that. Uh, you probably shouldn't be. And I think that's what Tales from the Crypt, as we kind of already outlined, was all about.
1: Yep. Yeah. I mean, I think the question you ask is, can you take Tales from the Crypt off of Demon Knight and it's a great movie? Yes. Yeah. Like, that, it survives on its own merits. It's a fun horror film out of context. Demon Knight, or Bordello Blood requires that that content and the context to make it like, okay, I get what they're doing here.
0: Yeah, because if you watch Bordello of Blood without the Tales from the Crypt stuff, you'd be like, what the fuck are we doing? This is horrible. Right. Yeah. But you want to get to questions? Let's do it. All right. I wish I would have met you 95 Demon Knight. Now, Martin, we're going to do top three Tales from the Crypt episodes, which we kind of already dropped a few in the main audio uh, kind of portion of this episode. But why don't you go first? What's your number three?
1: Um, Number three would be um, Forever Ambergris um so good which is uh one of the goriest episodes and again just for a recap it's about a an aging um war uh war photographer uh, played by Roger Daltrey who is on his way out like he's kind of lost his touch and it's all about it's kind of got a cool like theme about these almost like night crawler level of like who can capture the most fucked up shit you know that's who's going to be the most famous and um, he has like a uh, an assistant, Steve Buscemi, whose photos are like just like everyone is loving. Um, and also Steve Buscemi, he meets uh, Roger Dalton meets Steve Buscemi's wife, who's this beautiful blonde. Um, playboy playmate. Yeah, and fake boobs again, and um, basically finds a way to when they're on this trip into a war torn country um, to go Tricked Buscemi to go to a small village that had chemical warfare dropped on it, basically chemical uh, a chemical bomb, and. Buscemi gets the photos, comes back, and then it starts, his skin starts to melt off. And it's, like, full-on, like, planet terror when the guys are melting in that level of just his eye falls out. And the oh, my God. When dal- his daltery, eye fucking pops out, it's so gross. It's so nasty. And, and also, like, Buscemi totally plays it. And, and Daltry, like, puts his cigarette out on the fucking pupil of the eyeball. And it's just, like, that level of. Ew. Um, and Does then, Kevin Yeager do the effects for the main episodes, or
0: did he just design the Crypt Keeper? So
1: he designed the Crypt Keeper and all the animatronics inside, right? Um, I I think he did some, right? I, I honestly don't Most, know. I think mostly K and B too. I think that uh, this looks like K and B. This yeah. episode in particular, again, Planet Terror, um, and and then basically uh, the Daltry basically you know gets to be with uh, Bushemi's wife and realizes that. She now also has the same general, uh, warfare. They fuck while her back starts to split open and blood pours out. And she basically explodes and dies on top of. One of the best. There are many fuck scenes
0: in Tales from the Crypt. This might be the best because of how disgusting it it's is. It's really
1: nasty. And yeah, it's. Uh, and she's like, we both deserve to die. It's like, fuck um my second favorite episode is um King of the Road the Brad Pitt one we mentioned earlier um it is about a a sheriff in his like 40s with a, a young daughter who um had run from his past where he had been a a drag racer um who, who had led to a lot of deaths and basically changed his name became a sheriff is now put it behind him and it's very much a gunslinger type story of there's this young up and coming uh racer delinquent played by Brad Pitt who, um, like the gunslinger type stories, like, I heard you were the best, I want to beat you. It's that kind of that kind of narrative, right? Um, and as we were mentioning earlier, it actually did not come from Tales from the Crypt or Vault of Horror. Um, it came from Two Fisted Tales. And the because yeah, there's no supernatural twist to this one. And what I, I did a little research is that, this is, like you, you said, this feels very out of place. It was not originally a Tales from the Crypt episode. So, the same producers... I mean, the production... Wow. So the same producers did at the same time a Two Fisted Tales movie for HBO that had three parts. One was called Showdown, one was King of the, Hi- King of the Road, and the third one was the, um, the famous uh, Kirk Douglas episode where he plays like the Nazi. Okay. So those were all done for a mini movie anthology called Two Fisted Tales. They played that, they split it all up and made them episodes of Tales from the Crypt. Okay. So cuz it makes a lot of sense, right? You mentioned it's like not a horror, but it's cool because it's still It just met. feels
0: like paperback pulp.
1: Yeah, which you know, it's, instead of horror paperback pulp, it's it's action or or, you know, drag racing. I love like hot rod stories from the 50s and 60s. Like, I wrote a script based on it. Oh, when I was
0: watching this, it was like when you say to me, like, oh, this is 100% something that Jacob's gonna fucking
1: love. Like, I was watching this,
0: I was like, oh, yeah.
1: This is 100% (laughs) a Martin episode. Right? Yeah, you knew, because I was like, this is like my, you know my, like, the aesthetics I love, and I love, again, like, even Demon Knight. It's sort of like a history of violence with with drag racing. Absolutely. There's a lot, and if there's a lot, you could honestly, it's one of the episodes, I'm like, this could be a feature like that. Directed totally by watch. Tom Holland, Tom Holland, and with music by Warren Fucking Zevon. Yeah, the music in this is weird. It's weird. It doesn't quite fit all the time. Um, he but wrote. He that's wrote an original makes song. Kind of neat. Yeah, and again, it feels like an artifact of the '90s of like, right. and and these guys who had friends are like, oh, I'm gonna call my buddy Warren Zevon. Yeah, what's of them probably, Warren doing today? Well, yeah, and I've actually been listening to a lot of Warren Zevon lately. Anyway, I've kind of just like naturally, yeah, like. uh I love his shit. Um, and my favorite <laughs> episode is um, is House of Horror. So, as we mentioned earlier, it is about um, you got Will Wheaton um, as and a young Jason London as well um, as nerdy pledges for this fraternity. Um, their pledge master is a huge asshole, a very obanion like character from Days to Confused, played by the great Kevin Dillon. Um, you have Brian, Who's you have at Brian least Krause. 35. Oh yeah, oh everyone's old as fuck. Uh, you have Brian Krause from Sleepwalkers, mm-hmm. um, and he plays the president. And then the ridiculously hot Meredith Salinger, yeah, um, who comes in and is just like, hey. And every time she comes on, it's this horrible, great midi soundtrack, uh, horn like like saxophone.
0: Oh yeah! Every
1: time she like walks on screen, and she's they're gonna have a an initiation that night. The guys invite her and her sisters to watch, and it's the classic. You got to go in the haunted house. Um, there's it's very much, it's basically the same story as Hell Night, uh, the movie. Right? Um, of like we've rigged all these, these sound things, and we're gonna trick you into thinking it's a murder, you're gonna run out. And you're not gonna get to be a, not to be a member of the fraternity. But again. You know, twist ensues uh, with the the women actually want them there. It's their house. They've made it up into a vampire hovel. Um, it's their Bordello. It's their Bordello, and it, it's say. it's similar, you know. And and for me, this one is my favorite because it was the first I saw. You know, I don't think it's the best episode. It's just my favorite to rewatch and kind of like. It's called. It has a spooky Halloween kind of feel too. Like a kind of a cold night going into a haunted house that I just I like watching this time of year.
0: No, it's fun. Yeah, and it hits like all of those pleasurable. Kind of horror fan beats. Yeah, absolutely. You know exactly where it's going, and And then when it gets there, you're like, "Sweet, awesome."
1: Well, yeah, they said about Cabinet of Curiosity. Some of the reviews have been like, "It's kind of predictable." I'm like, "That's fine." Yeah, it's Halloween candy. It's fucking Halloween candy. Like when you
0: open a Snickers, you want it to taste like a Snickers. Yeah. You know, that I'm fine with that.
1: I, I don't mind if you tell telling this. I know where it's going. It's also it's all Lovecraft stories. I'm like, "Duh." Yeah, we already got one late
0: razor blade and the Halloween candy with Halloween ends. Like if somebody got that again, we might have a full-scale riot yeah, on our hands. Yeah, absolutely. So my top 3 are the the one we already talked about from uh season 1, Dig That Cat, he's real gone. Uh where Joey Pants you know, gets the cat lives implanted in it, into him. To me, still, probably the the episode that I associate the Tales from the Crypt structure with the most. It just, like we're talking about, it hits all the beats. And when it ends and you hear that cat, and when he's like buried alive and dead, like, you're like, yep. That's
1: that's what it is. That's what a Tales from the Crypt episode feels like. Yep. You know, if it, I would agree. It feels. If I had to pick up like a one to say this is what Tales from the Crypt is, this is one of them. Yeah. I like the the ultimate example of the feel. You have the actor who played Arliss, you know, from Batman. The wide angle shots. Robert Wool. Yeah, Robert Wool. Put some respect on his
0: name. <laughs> He'll always be Arliss to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, my number two is one that I had forgotten about and rewatched because. I I looked at the cast, and I was like, oh, shit, that's right. This one exists. Werewolf Concerto with Timothy Dalton uh, right after he's coming off a bond. I've never seen that. Beverly D'Angelo and Dennis Farina as, like, this super effeminate kind of fae, like, manor owner. It's, to bring it back to Amicus, uh, this is their uh, The Beast Must Die. Oh, Because it's basically like, or... uh, the, the Dan Curtis movie that you had me watch, uh, Scream of the Wolf. Oh, yeah. This is really close oh, to cool. same exact narrative. Bunch of people are in this uh, old locale. There's a werewolf amongst them. They're trying to root it out. And you have Timothy Dalton, like, not too far after when he was Bond, like, only a couple years yeah. removed, like, doing a Tales from the Crypt episode and just doing the full, like, Timothy Dalton thing, but in, like, the dashing, like... Uh, Indiana Jones kind of mold. Cool. And then Beverly D'Angelo is a werewolf hunter in like full vampy. Oh, yeah. Like, please. yeah. Um, it's real good. Uh, and then that's the, but that's the episode. But it's the one. I'm going to watch that. I was watching it and being like, this is what Bordello of Blood is to where it knows how campy and goofy. And out of its mind it is. And it's when people talk shit on Bordello of Blood. Even though, like, I even said it's like, Bordello of Blood's not a good movie. But it's still a really good replication of Tales from the Crypt. And, like, gets what Tales from the Crypt was. And that's what Werewolf Concerto was. Is that it's this big, goofy, like, uh, gothic kind of take on a story we've seen a couple different ways. Because, I mean, this is the most dangerous game but with werewolves. Yeah. And it's been done before multiple times, but it's like, you watch this, it's kind of like how one of the better episodes from uh, season one is, uh, and all through the house, uh, the replication of the old uh, EC comic uh, that was in print at first. And then the, because in the, the nineties one in season one, it's Larry Drake. Oh yeah. who's trying to break into the house. But it's the very first story in the original 1971 "Tales from the Crypt" movie too. Yeah. So like these movies are all about respecting the lineage of like kind of what came before them.
1: Yeah. And where
0: concerto like totally fits into that. And then my final one is, and I always struggle with the title of this, mostly because it has numbers in it. Yeah. They told me there'd be no math today. But 99 and 44th 100th percent pure horror which is the soap episode yeah and this is the one I picked this one uh, for kind of nostalgia purposes because it's I think the first episode I ever maybe not ever saw but it's the one I remember watching as a kid the most because it has the it has all the stuff that we talk about. With tales from the crypt again, there's cuckolding. Yeah, there's a, a kind of vindictive wife trying to get back at her husband, and then there's the kind of crazy twist because it's all about these people who work in soap and are like soap heirs, or like kind of like he's the owner he, he's of the like ce- a major soap manufacturer. He's the CEO,
1: and she did the art that yeah. made help make it. She did like basically the box art.
0: Yeah, you know, and then she basically kills him boils him down in a vat to make soap and then ends up washing herself with him but doesn't take into account that the human acids aren't breaking down and it burns all of her skin off and again like the uh and roger daltrey episode forever amber grease like this is just amazing makeup effects here it's so good it's, it's cool because this is
1: a comic that I had. Um, yeah, you as, were mentioning I, that off yeah, mic. So I had um, a reprint of it from like the 70s that I found at like a garage sale. Now, there was, oh, sorry, not garage sale. There was this guy named Bob um, um, up in Wisconsin. And it was basically, he had this like, uh, kind of like swap meat barn where you like sure. had like old tools. And my parents would always go and get kind of knickknack stuff for the cabin. And you always let us, just, my brother and me, go through his old comics. They didn't have covers. He would just pick them up in like bulk at like these flea markets. He's like, just take five. Don't worry about it. Yeah, you know. So I had that's where I first read Man Thing. That's oh where, wow, yeah. So all these like it was usually horror stuff. I'm like this is great. So I got a bunch of tells from the Crypt of Vault of Horror, and one of them was the the soap one. I actually never seen this episode. In the comic, it's different. Where again, it's like it's a little bit less sexy. It's about a guy who is the assistant to the owner of this the soap factory. And the owner is a total blowhard asshole. Right. And the assistant is like, I'm gonna fucking kill him and take the company. So he kills him, drops him in the vat. Makes the soap, and I believe instead of having a skin melt off, it's like the soap is now haunted. So he like puts the soap away, like I just, he just hides it. He has a hot date now. He's rich, and he's like, "Shit, I'm out of soap." He just grabs it without thinking. It falls and it gets stuck to the grate, and the water fills up in the shower, and he drowns ah. instead. So it's, it's the same idea of like it, it, he was he got his comeuppance, but he's it was cool to see by the soap. It was, again, it would be kind of an interesting, like just kind of fun to go back and read a lot of the original, just kind of do a one to one comparison of like how they did it in the 40s and 50s in a comic form and how the 90s adapted that. And frankly, it, trashed know? them up. Yeah. It kind of made it even a trashier. More sleazy. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I and mean, the originals are sleazy, but in a different way. Yeah. But agree that 90s yeah. aesthetic yeah. kind of edge to
0: it. Um, so, remake. Yay, nay.
1: Remake for Demon Knight?
0: <sighs> That's the question that we have here is that would you remake? And we kind of covered this in, in saying, like, you know, why doesn't this exist? So maybe like remake for Tales from the Crypt?
1: Then yes.
0: Yeah. I right? mean,
1: ab- absolutely. I think it just comes down to someone. I think HBO should do it, get their rights back, and I think make it what it was, which was, and I make it half an hour, not an hour. And make it a uh, a place for people to come play again, and 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 make it a late night thing. Um, do a limited series to start, like a you know eight episode for like a Halloween, like next Halloween. Get like some good filmmakers to come work, but don't put all the don't put all the emphasis on that. Because what I like about Cabinet Curiosities is it's all about him basically putting front and center the filmmakers, like Del Toro's like. He, at the end of the beginning of every episode, he's like, and the director David Pryor, and so he really is wanting to give them, uh, sure, you know, Tales from the Crypt. That's the IP. I don't want to know who the filmmakers are. Do you know what I mean? It's like more about disappear into the world of Tales from the Crypts.
0: Yeah, no. Have any
1: curiosities? I want to know. This is I want to know that you're putting forward this filmmaker. I want them to get their respect. Yeah, Reserve.
0: Cabinet of Curiosities is almost closer to something like Masters of Horror, yeah. but for up-and-coming A- absolutely. Like yeah. directors. Exactly like, what it is. Yeah, it, you're not having John Carpenter, Toby Hooper, them come in like these kind of old hands at it and yeah. making new things. Like you literally have David Pryor, you have Panos Cosmatos. Jennifer Kent. Jennifer Kent. Like, yeah, all these people who are really coming to define the next wave of horror, making uh, entries for Guillermo del Toro. But yet, I agree with you. But at the same time, the spirit of Tales from the Crypt is kind of in that look at who we got okay. tabloid sensationalist. I think uh, more for the
1: actors though, culture and not, and not the. Uh,
0: Arnold directing an episode was a big deal. Yeah, and also like you had people, especially in the early seasons, you had. Richard Donner, you add Tom Holland, like Walter that. Hill did the pilot. Walter Hill does the pilot, like that's, that that's was fair. a big selling point. Now, granted, it was more of a tr- like producer-driven mold to where like you didn't watch uh, the Walter Hill pilot and go, "This is a Walter Hill movie." You watch it to your point, and we're like, "This is Tales from the Crypt," and like that's what they're doing. They're coming in and applying their stamp but you'd never really have like an auteurist stamp. It's more just like, ah, yeah. oh, this is how I tell stories, but it's inside of this world. The world comes first to where yeah. like the cabinet of curiosities, like I haven't watched any of it yet, but I saw the trailer for Panos's and, and it's written by uh, Aaron Stewart on too, the guy who co-wrote Mandy with him. And you watch the trailer for it. You're like, oh yeah, this is a Panos Cosmatos thing. Like it's just in this otherworldly acid head, like kind of, uh, mind trip nightmare world yeah. where you watch Tales from the Crypt and always watch Tales from the Crypt. So I think it's the balance between the That's two. Fair. Like you said, we're like, bring in the names, but like, make sure it's still Tales from the Crypt at the end of
1: the day. Let them play in the sandbox. Right. You know, here, here's your, you know, here are the elements you're going to use. Here's the look you're going to do here. Are the and then, But again, the actors, I think have people like, it almost kind of felt like SNL. Where it was like... SNL, 100 Where they would come That's in and... That's
0: a great comparison, actually. I didn't think of that.
1: Is their chance to come make fun of themselves. And, you know, yeah. like, like The Rock would totally do Tales from the Crypt. Yeah. He would come in and do an episode making fun of himself. He has no trouble, like... The or, Diesel or, wouldn't. Uh, who would not? But Jack Black would come do it. People like that would, I feel like, come play...
0: Who would be someone that you'd love to see oh let's do two questions one that you'd love to see write or direct a tales from the crypt episode who would you like to see star in one as like the crazy like hey i'm here
1: and you have x in a tales from the crypt episode oh man that's a really good question i I have i think i have the director for sure sure um lee one l would would I love to see him do an episode, uh, from James Wan's crew, and, and I love Upgrade, I love Invisible Man. Um, he would
0: get the tone. He
1: would, yes, I, I could see him, and also I would want him to write it. I would like to see him do a thirty minute short Tales from the Crypty story. He also similar like he has elements of Raimi in him when he sure. got, like Upgrade the crazy camera stuff, up the crazy stuff in Invisible Man. Um, even the crazy stuff he did for like um, Insidious 3 when he directed that. yeah, um, I'd love to see him uh, play with that. Juan actually in that whole team would be a person I could see with that kind of power in the horror genre to kind of You own. mean like
0: Juan like, executive producing? Yeah, it? like
1: Atomic Monster executive producing Tales from the Crypt and then bringing in all of the people he works with. That could work. I think could, could be doable. Um, actor-wise... The person I always think of, I just, I think I love watching everything, is Sam Rockwell. I think having him oh. play like an oaf in like a Tales from the Crypt episode, it's kind of like the first episode of uh, Captain Curiosity's Tim Blake Nelson kind of doing a similar a similar thing. Kind like, of would, weirdo. Yeah, yeah, weirdo outcast. And I think i love to see, you know, Rockwell or like someone like, honestly, like a really beautiful person like Chris Hemsworth and come do a ridiculous, like, have them totally send themselves up. Like, almost do a Rick Rossovich type thing like he did for the Switch. Yeah, like, get- have Hemsworth play a Frankenstein or...
0: Well, my pick, well, you were kind of in the same wavelength for actor was going to be like Robert Downey Jr. Oh, like doing a riff, like you said, kind of like to poke fun at himself, but doing a riff on Robert Downey Jr. And like ascending from like crackhead to like major star and Iron Man and whatever. And like, what's his Tales from the Crypt episode kind of look like, like playing a riff on that persona like that could totally work. Quentin Tarantino was the other guy that I would love to see come in, not as a director or writer, but to act and do. again, it's all about playing riffs on their like famous persona. Cause you know, Tarantino would be fine. Like taking the piss out of himself a little bit in terms of like writer directors, I I would really like to see like make these movies, Um, bring Brandon Cronenberg in. Ooh. Or bring... Ah, that might be a little too auteurist, and he's a little too <laughs> slick for that. Like, who would be, like, a really great kind of workman? Honestly, David Pryor, who just did one for Cabinet of Curiosities, would probably have fun with and that And he's our friend, and tone. we love him, so... Yeah, and that's our buddy. <laughs> <laughs> like I guess we're, we're kind of biased in that direction, too. Honestly, the other guy I would like, and I know a lot of people don't like him, but I think his tone would be perfect. Again... Maybe even from, like, an EP level rather than just a
1: writer-director, but Eli Roth. I knew you were going to say that, and I was like, you know what? I already agreed with you ahead of time. I don't yeah. like him either, and I could told he would match this. See, I do
0: like Eli Roth, but yeah. he's such a horror— Like, he, he fancies himself, and he probably is almost better at this than he is as a filmmaker, is being, like, a horror historian yeah, and really being that kind of evangelizing fanboy type. And I think if you put him in charge, he would— he would understand the lineage of EC Comics and Tales from the Crypt as we kind of outlined it too, and be like, "Well, if you're going to make it, you have to make it in the mold of like what it used to be, or at least like retain elements of that." Like we would get a, a faithful Tales from the Crypt yeah. kind of adaptation or modernization. And frankly, Eli Roth would also get that. Like a lot of Tales from the Crypt, I I, I don't like throwing these terms around or whatever, but I think it's part of what made Jordan Peele's Twilight Zone fail is that it's not about applying modern yeah. politics or viewpoints to it. I, frankly, some of the, the the reasons that Tales from the Crypt work is because the point of views and stuff are antiquated and we're actually punishing these sinners for like having... These kind of shitty worldviews, or whatever, but like, and I think Eli Roth would push that a little bit, especially with his crazy fucking Green Inferno movie where it was basically like making fun of like SJWs and stuff. And that one's a little gnarly. I don't know if I want to go that far in right. that direction with that kind of political worldview, but he would know how to again, like, kind of nudge the audience in the ribs and be like, ah. The, the, this is what it is like today. Right. We're kind of making fun of ourselves and like some people might like that. And some people will probably hate the fuck out of that.
1: Yeah, that's fair. And I, and I, I could see him doing that. And I also think uh, another person I was thinking of was anybody who kind of follows again in the Raimi footsteps, I think could yeah. be good. So like Gerard Johnstone, who did housebound, um, which I like quite a bit and is doing the new movie making, which I know we already talked about before, but like his kind of, very wild camera movements and, go- and kind of tongue-in-cheek comedic uh, tone, I think would be really good for this. And also, like, if I could go back in time to the 90s, a young Peter Jackson. Yeah. I think, or or even now, it's like, dude, what if you, like...
0: What is he doing now? He's not doing anything. He's just doing what if dog- Peter
1: Jackson shepherded
0: oh, Tales of the Crypt and brought that back?
1: That- oh, my God. And really got
0: back to his, like, brain-dead days. Dude. Like, if you got that, and if you got him overseeing and shepherding young talent to make Tales from the Crypt, that might be the, like, the ideal pairing of, like... Artist and material because also like it would kind of fit with the tales from the crypt ethos again of like a guys on their way down versus guys on their way up like a lot of people have counted Peter Jackson out of making
1: feature filmmaking now like this would be a big return for that that would be kind of cool I would you know I, I don't think it would ever happen because he is in that like he used to get back that the Beatles like thing but it's like he's in that kind of like late era like I'm colorizing old footage and it's like almost historian you know but he's li- I, yeah. he's almost like Cameron. At this point, to
0: where he's yeah. more fascinated by technology mm-hmm. than he is by actually storytelling.
1: Yeah, because he and Cameron are—I are, know—are close. And then it's like it's funny because Del Toro's best friends with Cameron, but Del Toro is still creating on a regular basis. And also, he knows how to balance like his kind of like Oscar bait with still like going back into Cabin of Curiosity, but never leaving behind his horror roots ever. It's still all over night. Next Alley. movie is
0: it, like a animated. Isn't it stop motion
1: Pinocchio? It's supposed to be m- mind blowing because it takes place during um, fascist Italy. Yeah. And like he went all the way with it. I guess it premiered in like Venice or something and people like lost their minds for how perfect it is. Like I'm excited. I think um, it
0: screened here in Austin last week.
1: Yeah, I think it did. I think it's here. And I, th- I thought I was about-
0: invited to it, but oh, I was shit. like, I'm not. I-, I didn't have time.
1: Yeah, frankly. I'm excited for that one. Um, I'll watch anything in Delta Sure. I mean, uh, why not. But should we move on to uh, a double feature? Sure. What's yours? So we're doing double feature with Demon Knight. Just with Demon Knight. Drag Me to Hell. Ooh,
0: nice. Would be a good one because Drag Me to Hell feels like a Tales from the Crypt episode. Just Raimi doing a Tales from the Crypt oh, yeah. episode. It's the moralist, you know, comeuppance. Um, it has the old kind of gypsy folklore to it. It has all the crazy gore effects and wild kind of camera moves and energy that Sam Raimi brings has the great, uh, Justin Long performance in it too. Who's like schmucky as ever schmucky as ever. But honestly, like I love Justin Long. Like I was thinking the other day, especially with barbarian coming out and him being in that new Neil LaBute, uh, and Comes the Darkness, I think it's, co- it's called, or something like that. Anyway, um, how long has kind of been, or maybe has always been this weird like horror icon that we might undervalue? Yeah. Jeepers
1: Creepers.
0: Well, yeah. that's the first movie I remember seeing him in, yeah. is Jeepers Creepers. So it's like, and then popping up every now and again, even in trash like Kevin Smith's Tusk, you know, he's still yeah. down to do horror stuff. I don't know. It's just, again conversation for a whole other podcast but that would be my pick also because Allison Lohman uh the lead in it is fucking awesome she's great Um, yeah and there's a great uh article recently that our buddy James Shapiro was telling you about that was like a profile of her and about her retirement from acting hmm. and how she talks about I'd have to look it up and see where it is it might be like Vanity Fair but where she talks about how she just decided she wanted to Quit acting. She married like the director of one of her projects. Has kids now. Oh, cool! And it's just kind of like it's it's one of those great moments of like remembering. Oh yeah, that's right. These people we see on screen, like for them, this is a job. And eventually, people retire from
1: jobs and are like, I want to do something else. Yeah. No, I I respect that. Um, I I had two. I'm kind of tied on. It just depends on which direction I want to go. So. One of my other favorite demon movies is Night of the Demons. Um, oh, yeah, this would yeah, fit. Yeah, I um, Kevin S. Tenney. This is another w- one-night movie. The original title was Halloween Night or Halloween Party. Um, sure. And I think it was Halloween Night, and that's why— Kind of
0: like the babysitter murders, a little too on the nose, you know what I'm saying? Right.
1: Well, they also—I remember they actually um, they covered—if you watch the movie— uh, they the original credit said Halloween night, and they had to make the Night of the Demons logo so big to literally just, like, paste it over. Because they, they couldn't, like, reshoot the intro. So it's like they literally uh, just, like, kind of composited it. Oh, because of all the, na- the,
0: uh, the animated stuff in yep. Night of the
1: Demons, yeah. That whole thing, they, they animated it over to- on the top of it. But another, like, fun um, one-night romp of a horror movie, great gore effects, um, just, like... Uh, a lot of like actually I think pretty frightening demons um, yeah they're gnarly I think they're really gnarly but my other one would be um, actually Assault on Priest at 13 i just do another Siege movie which is one of my favorite Siege movies of another you know one night of people trapped and trying to escape uh, you know tunnels and how do we get out of here and I love a good Siege movie and I think that's one of the the Ultimates, not vampires. Um, uh, I like vampires. I like it until the end when I. Heard, yeah, it's heard trash. They just ran out of money. Yeah, um, but I love the intro. I love and I love James Woods going like full douchey Max Ren, just shit heel.
0: James Woods. Now that would be a fun dude to get to come back and do a Tales from the Crypt oh. episode. He would never do it, and frankly, and if he they, couldn't take a piss at himself either. He couldn't. T- that's what I'm saying. Yeah. They, he wouldn't take the piss out of himself because he so believes all of his right wing rhetoric bullshit. And also, frankly, it would be the quickest way for Tales from the Crypt to get canceled. Is they're like, and James Woods is coming back, and people would just instantly not remember this is what Tales from the Crypt is about, and he'd yeah. be like, canceled. No, I'm. I, I won't watch HBO ever again.
1: Well, I, I think of him from from Quitters Incorporated from Cat's Eye. Yeah, like he already kind of did that kind of you know. That's another. I mean, Cat's Eye is also kind of another Stephen King. Yeah, Tales from the Crypt feels right in vain with like Creep Show too. Yeah, absolutely. So Face Melter,
0: you've already spoiled. I'm sorry,
1: it. I couldn't help it. Yeah, but, but I mean, like, absolutely.
0: Yeah, it is. Like it's, it's so good both on your own and even better with a crowd. And I've seen it both ways. And, like, even re-wi- I rewatched it, like, 11 o'clock in the morning the other day to prepare for this, in the bar, you know, all the windows open, sunlight coming in, and was still just totally wrapped up in it because it just rips. Oh, like, it's so just good. a ton
1: of fun. It, you know, it reminds me a lot of us seeing the Frighteners at Exhumed. The Fright- yeah. I just watched Frighteners again last week. Another movie that just fucking moves. Me too. Moves. That movie's
0: so good. It's- and again, another great uh, kind of argument for Jackson to come back and just do Please. some kind of genre thing again. Because like the Frighteners, even with some of the dated CGI and stuff, which still looks pretty fucking good, because yep. we saw it on 35mm last year, and on the big screen still looked oh, amazing. Yeah. Um, still one of the great... Uh, technological advancements in movies. And it also comes with Robert Zemeckis, like working with yep. him. Cause that's the other guy that Jackson really falls in line with. One of the main uh, producers on Tales from the Crypt and a guy who's also obsessed with tech is yep. Zemeckis. Like he sort of is a modern Zemeckis. So when he comes back, maybe Tales from the Crypt would be again, kind of a perfect fit for him. But The Frighteners, man, it looks better than most movies released today, moves better than most movies released today, and just uh, shreds completely.
1: I, I showed it to two friends, my friend's Charlie and Harry. They'd never seen it. They were, I was over at their house having dinner. They're like, let's watch something spooky. I said, well, you know, I'm down. And then it was, I was like, you guys ever seen The Frighteners? And they were just like in rap. They were just totally in. They're like, that was, so good. They're like that was They're both huge Lord of the Rings fans. They'd never, I was like, well, this is Peter Jackson. And I, Prefer it to Lord of the Rings. I get to watch Frighteners every day of the week. Like, yeah, I, honestly, like I haven't watched Lord of the Rings, and
0: I saw Fellowship ten times in the theaters. <laughs> I loved that. I movie. saw it four.
1: That's my. I record, saw
0: yeah. all of those films like multiple times in the movie theaters. Loved them when they first came out. Honestly, if you asked me to watch them today, I would be like, ah, I have stuff to do. Yeah. And I have days to like you know full of adult shit. But if you were like want to watch the frighteners, I'd be like right now, sure. Yeah. I don't, I don't need groceries. Like Drop I'll go the later. Fucking hat, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, Martin, this has been great. Indeed, this, this is the end of Halloween and the beginning of I guess season four. This yeah, is our first spine number in a little bit. Um, but what do we got next for them? Um, we are moving into. Uh serious drama territory yeah with the films of Todd Field because uh, Tar his first movie in 16 years uh, has been released it's my most anticipated movie for the really the whole year but definitely the rest of the year and frankly at this point it's possibly the most acclaimed movie of the year so it's time to go back and talk about Like one of our great auteurs who only had two movies to his name before this one.
1: Yes, looking forward to it. And happy uh, Halloween, y'all.
0: Happy Halloween. And you've been listening to Secret Handshake. Stay tuned.